0: Okay, don't send me any emails. We are just kidding. Except about Arkansas. Um, Before I go any further, um, the last two weeks I have received more cards and phone calls and letters and emails than any two weeks in 31 years of preaching. They have been kind, they have been supportive... Uh, They have been uh, incredibly vulnerable, and I just want you to know I'm very, very grateful. Um, Thank you. we got football going on, and for some reason, baseball is still going on. And so I'm reminded of a routine George Carlin used to do where he would talk about the difference between football and baseball because he said the spirit behind the two sports was very different. That football tended to be much more martial and baseball much more gentle. For example, he said football is played on a gridiron. Baseball is played in a park. Kind of a fun place to play. Football players wear helmets. Baseball players wear caps. In football, there's a specialist who comes in to kick something. In baseball, a specialist comes in to relieve somebody. Football has the two-minute Warning, baseball has the seventh inning stretch. Football has sudden death. Baseball has extra innings, not just innings, but extra innings. In football, a runner will give you a stiff arm. In baseball, the runner gets to slide. That sounds kind of fun. But the biggest difference is in football, the main object is military. In football, the battle is fought in the trenches. The field general, the quarterback, seeks to evade the blitz, soften up the enemy line with a pounding ground attack, and aerial bombardment. He'll mix bullet passes with the occasional going for the bomb in order to penetrate the enemy defenses and reach the end zone. In baseball, the object is to go home. (laughs) And I want to go home. That's a beautiful thing. Have you ever thought about this? The best songs of all time, the best musicals of all time, the best poetry, the best movies, the best stories, all have the same plot. You get to go home where you belong. Christianity is essentially a religion about going home. Jesus said before he died in John 14, there are many rooms in my father's Home, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I would tell you plainly when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. You see, in a sense, we have been exiles ever since Genesis chapter 3 when our very first parents were told to leave their home. And Jesus said, my mission was to come and find God's lost children and bring them back home. And that's why he spent so much time with the homeless. You see, Luke 15 was driven by critics who were asking Jesus, Why do you hang out with the kind of people you hang out with if you're supposed to be a Holy man. And he described it in terms of God's mission. Because they are homeless. And they know they're homeless. Because Jesus would say. All people are homeless. But some know it. Some are homesick. And the greatest story ever. Is for them. And for you. And so this father has got these two boys. And the younger one says dad I want my stuff now. I don't want to wait till you're gone. It was a huge insult. He's got one agenda. That boy wants to leave home. So we pick up the story in chapter 15 verse 13. Not long after that. The youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, what drives my entire teaching this morning is one phrase that jumps off the page every time I read that story. He came to his senses. I have prayed that expression every day for the last five years. Everybody that loves a prodigal longs for the day they will hear those words. You see, people wind up in the far country because of wrong beliefs. You behave the way you behave because you believe whatever it is you believe. You can't change behaviors until you change the thought systems that drive them. Now, the Bible calls this... The renewing of the mind and says it is absolutely critical to what we would call a conversion experience. Or in other words, the journey home starts in the mind. Before you take a single step back toward home, you have to have taken a journey in your thinking. Because Jesus says the only thing that can set you free is truth. Now this is so critical to understand. That repentance is not just stopping certain behaviors. Every parent here understands this. Your child can be engaging in bad behaviors. And you can set in place penalties to punish them. And make them conform and stop that behavior. But you haven't changed the rebellion in the heart. There's been no repentance. There's just been outward conformity. And so in the Bible, repentance is not just stopping certain behaviors. It's starting to think new thoughts. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, for example, about God's servant teacher, that those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses And escape the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. Do you understand? If someone is being seduced by the enemy, you can't set them free just by telling them to stop what they're doing. They've got to come to a knowledge of the truth. They have got to come to their senses. Now, the reason Jesus spent so much time with homeless people was because he believed that everyone is made in the image of God. And therefore, I don't care how far gone or lost they seem to be. Jesus believed every single person has the capacity to come to their senses. And he wanted to connect to that sense of home that God has placed in everybody. And so I thought all week, what changed in his thinking? What sense did he begin to realize? And I want to share with you several thoughts. Here's the first. I believe that he sensed the emptiness of the far country. Now before he left, do you think that boy would have listened to anybody's warnings about the far country? Do you think if anybody had stopped him and said, where are you going? And said, son, I don't think you want to go there. Only bad things happen there. Do you think he would have listened? You see, he thought that to be happy, he had to leave home. He was convinced that in order to be happy, there are things I want to do. That I can't do under my father's care. See, that's the thing about the far country. It produces the greatest brochures. The far country has the sharpest PR department. And so you'll go home today and you'll watch football, and all day long you'll hear this message. If you really want to be happy, you need to party more, you need to drink more beer, and you need to hang out with women that are half naked. The far country sells itself so well. It just never, anywhere in the brochure, tells you the rest of the story. And so Monday through Friday, every day in the office, we see the people that went to the far country and wound up in the pig pen. See, Jesus loves sinners, but he hates sin because he knows what sin does to people. And so notice what he does with this boy. Notice how far down he takes this boy. He winds up in a place in his life where pigs are more valuable than he is, where they eat first. But let me tell you something about the pig pen, or some people call it, Hitting bottom. It can cause some people to challenge the way they've been thinking. Sometimes we want to protect people from the pig pen when that's where they need to go. So that they can get their thinking straight. It's a great moment when the thought finally penetrates your mind that you are too big... To be filled with all the stuff the far country says you have to have to be happy. Because you were made for home. You were made to be filled by your father. And so he, in the middle of that pig pen, sensed this is a lie. The far country lies. It's empty here. And then he sensed the pointlessness of blaming. And this is huge. Because nobody can continue to play the victim and experience victory over homelessness. And when that boy started to think straight, he stopped making excuses. He could have made many. You've heard them all. He could have blamed his brother. Well, if my brother hadn't been such a fake goody two-shoes, I wouldn't have left. Those people up at church, they're all just a bunch of hypocrites. That's why I don't go anymore. He could have blamed his father. You know, if my father had done more for me, if he had sent me a care package or two, he could have blamed God. Why did God let this famine happen in the first place? Why didn't God stop all the suffering in the world? It's all God's fault. You've heard it all. You have said it all. And that strategy has been around ever since the first couple lost their home. Let's just blame somebody for the mess we've made of things. But holding grudges just guarantees a life stuck in the mud. And if today your life is filled with bitterness or resentment, You don't like where you are and you want to blame everybody for it? You're going to find that that resentment is about as nourishing to your soul as the pods the pigs were eating. See, a return to sanity meant a retreat from blaming others for his choices. He, in that pig pen... Thought to himself, I have sinned against heaven and against my Father. I believe admitting your darkness is the first sign the light's turning on. So notice third, that he sensed the wrongness of his rebellion. When he got his thinking straight, he looked straight in the mirror and he saw the real problem. And please notice... When he practiced that speech, he was going to give his daddy. He didn't say, oh, dad, I've just been delinquent. You know how boys are. I was just sowing my wild oats. I'm sure glad I got that chapter out of the way. He confessed rebellion against a loving father. I want you to see here how revolutionary Jesus is being. He is giving a totally new definition to the concept of sin. Because we think sin is breaking rules. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. If you do, you've sinned. And Jesus is saying sin is more than breaking rules. Sin is breaking away. Sin is running from God because you want to run your own life. See, the far country did not create his rebellion. The far country exposed it. We're always warning people, don't go there and there and there because they will turn you into a sinner. No, all that's going to do is expose the sin that's already there. We sin because we don't like God running our lives. We want to be in charge. You see, the Bible does not teach, that repentance is saying, I'm sorry for what happened. It's saying, God, I'm sorry I didn't trust your heart. You have always only loved me. You've always only wanted my best. Every direction, every rule, every command, Every leading you ever gave me was because you loved me. And I didn't trust your heart. So I read the brochure and I left home. The remorseful will say, all have sinned. But the repentant will say, I have sinned. And the difference will cause one to stay homeless and the other to start heading home. Would you notice next, he sensed the goodness of life at home. You see, one way that we justify our journey to the far country is by skewing our memory of life in the Father's house. We rewrite history so that my parents and my old church and my relationship to God and all those people back home were so mean and ugly and unkind. And we rewrite history so that we can justify being where we know we're not supposed to be. This boy went from sick of home to homesick by getting honest about what life with his father had really been like. And that's when he had his most important thought yet. He realized that everything he was really looking for was back at home. And then he had his second most important thought. He realized, and I don't have to stay here. And that's huge. Because what happens a lot of time is we let our homelessness become our identity. We struggle with alcoholism. Or with a bad temper. Or with a bitter spirit. We fight depression. We've been through a divorce. We got an abortion. And we let it become our identity. And we stay stuck in the mud. And what Jesus is doing in the greatest story ever is say... Come home. Notice that boy doesn't wait till he gets his life all together. He just starts going home. Because God's not interested in perfection. He's interested in direction. He doesn't care if you still have the mud on you. He doesn't care if you smell like pigs. He doesn't care if your clothes are torn. He doesn't care if you're broke. He just says, start heading home. It's the story of... That Jesus believed could be everybody's story. Nobody has to stay in the prison of homelessness. Everybody with good sense can start home. In fact, his church is filled with people who have. Including one of our newest small group leaders. His name is Rodney. Watch this video.
1: I joined the gang when I was 14 years old, but it led me to a life of doing drugs and selling drugs. I saw the fancy cars. I saw, I saw the dudes with the girls and all those things. So that's what Rodney wanted. That's what I wanted. I actually thought the things I was doing were fun, but I was, I was actually suffering. I never had peace in my life. So I was in and out of jail but I didn't know how to bring myself out of the things I was in. I had a wife that was constantly praying for me. My wife spent a lot of time in prayer, and I spent a lot of time still doing drugs and running from God. So I was sitting, I was sitting in the jail, and I, I didn't know where to turn. Then all of a sudden, I came to my senses. It was like I can't make it. I can't do nothing without the Lord. It was like the only way I'm going to make it out of this situation is if I call on Jesus, because that's the only person I know that can truly save me. I had truly gave up my life to live a life that I thought was that I thought was gratifying, a life that I thought was fulfilling that hole in me, but it wasn't. And I thank God for Him allowing me to, to come to my senses and Him open my eyes to see. And now I'm home and I'm, I'm actually enjoying life now. I spend a lot of time in prayer with my wife. I'm able to talk to my wife. I actually have peace in my life now. Right now it's like things that used to get me down, Now I just look at him and I continue to trust that Jesus will bring me through it. And the thing I love the most is I'm able to spend time with my three-year-old son. Because this was truly, truly the thing that made me want to change my life. Now that I'm home, I can actually show my son what it means to be a man. I'm Rodney. I'm the prodigal. And I came home.
0: His story is on every pew. It's a journey some of you never would have made. It's a journey Rodney never would have made. It's a journey that boy in Luke 15 never would have made, though, if there hadn't been one more critical thought across his mind. And that is that he sensed the kindness of his father. You see, what spurned or what spurred his return was not just. The grumbling of an empty stomach It's the memory that his father's full of mercy. If that boy thought, my dad is harsh, my dad is critical, my dad will throw me in jail if he sees my face, he never would have headed home. I don't care how hungry he got. He headed home spurred by the memory that at his very core, I have no memory other than that my dad is a good and decent man. And that's my hope. Home wasn't just a place that he remembered for abundant food. It was a place of abundant grace. And he could change his thinking rooted in the memory that his father had a kind heart that never changed. But even with his new mind, he couldn't wrap his mind around the welcome he got. Dad saw that boy coming and just took off running. Do you know it's the only time in the Bible God is pictured in a hurry? The only time God has ever been in a hurry was to go get a child coming home. There's no sin match for his grace. Psalm 103 says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he understands how weak we are, and he knows we're only dust. And dads need to know that your arms can say a lot. When your children come home, you can cross your arms and you don't even need to say anything because your arms are saying, I dare you to take one more step. You can put your arms up in the air and they're saying, What am I going to do with a kid like you? Or you can do like this. And they say, Welcome home. Welcome home. Now I'm going to ask you a question. When you see or think of the arms of God... What do they look like? You remember the name perhaps of Jim Baker. Some years ago he was a well-known televangelist. evangelist He was sent to prison, rightly so, for fraud. I had a poor opinion of Jim Baker. He brought shame to Jesus and to his church. So I didn't think much about him while he was in prison, but uh, gladly, not everyone was like me. Not the Billy Graham family. They stayed in touch with Jim Baker. After five years in prison, they told him that when he got out, they wanted to give him a car and help him find a place to stay. And he said, don't even get close to me you don't need my baggage you've got a 50-year ministry record that's spotless don't stain it by putting your arms around Jim Baker but you know that within 48 hours of him being in his halfway house Ruth Graham called and said can we come by Sunday and pick up Jim and take him to church with us and they did they sat right next to inmate 07407-058 and after that They invite him to their home for lunch. He said he was sitting at the table and Ruth asked him for some addresses. So he reached into his pocket and pulled out an envelope. She said, where's your wallet? And it hadn't dawned on him because you're not allowed to have a wallet in prison. Uh, Just have an envelope. She got up, went into the bedroom, came back and said, Billy doesn't need this one. You can have it. And he said that was the moment he realized. At least with some people. In some places, he really could go home. You see, this story doesn't make sense. Now, I'll tell you how it should have ended, and it would have been fair and sensible. That's what everybody expected. So the boy starts home, and from a distance, the father sees him and waits for him on the porch. And the boy says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And because the father was a good and fair man, after some thought, he said, okay. You can go sleep in the barn. You can eat with the hired servants. But don't ever show up at my table again. Now that's how the story should end. I mean, that's fair. That's how life is supposed to work. That makes total sense. But God's not into fair. God's into grace. And the way Jesus tells the story, it makes no sense. But his point is, the Father is going to treat you like you never left. Let that sink in. He's going to give you shoes to restore your status in the family. Because in that day, slaves didn't have shoes. It kept them from running away. Only sons had shoes. He's going to put a ring on your finger to remind you that all of his riches are yours. He's going to put robes on you to cover over any stain of anything or any place you've ever been. He's going to prepare a meal and ask you to come sit at his table. And here's what's absolutely nonsensical. Something no other God of no other faith would ever say. Jesus says, your father is going to pay for everything. And so Jesus left home. So you could get there. It's the greatest story ever. Peter O'Hanlon was this policeman in northern Britain some years ago. He said it was getting dusk and he's making his rounds and he hears this sniffling. And he looks and there's this little boy on the curb, about five or six years old. And he's crying and he asks why and the boy's lost. He doesn't know how to get home and it's getting dark. That village wasn't too big so... Officer O'Hanlon began to mention the name of some well-known hotels or inns or restaurants in the city. Do you live close to any of these? And the boy just had no clue. But then he realized the whole village was built around a square. And in the square there was a church. And on the church, big steeple. on top of the steeple, a big cross. Anywhere in the village you could see it. He pointed to that cross. He said, do you live anywhere near that? Boy's eyes got real big. And he said, if you could take me to the cross, I could get home. You do not have to stay where you are. You can have the sense to come home. I want you to bow your heads a moment. You heard these words earlier in this service. In fact, you even sang them. Did you listen if you didn't? do it now
2: how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how
0: Just keep your head bowed a second. I'm going to do something a little different. I just think there's some people here today who aren't home. And I think the Spirit of God has been prompting you all through this sermon. Why are you where you are? And I'd like to pray for you. But as an act of faith that you want to head back where you belong. If you feel like right now you're not as close to God as you ought to be. I'd like you just to stand up. Let me pray for you. Just have the courage to stand. Don't disobey the prompting of the Spirit. Thank you for your courage. And So Father I'm praying right now for all these who are standing. In fact i'm praying for some that should be standing but they're too afraid to do so i'm praying god that they will stay sensitive to the prompting of the holy spirit that they will refuse to stay where they are that they will they will have the spiritual wisdom to detect any lie satan's been telling them about where they need to be to find what they need to find That they will be filled again with the memory of your goodness. That they will trust your heart. And that they will once again believe with all that is within them. That everything they truly mean. Everything they were made for. Is in your house. And so Father your children are coming home. And we're praying in faith now that you're going to come to meet them. That something's going to happen today. They're going to feel a warming in their heart and a sense of your arms around them. They're going to feel the movement of the Holy Spirit within them. And they're going to know their Father is embracing them. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for being the God that doesn't make sense. We don't need sense, God. We need grace. And so on behalf of all these standing, Father, we say welcome home. And We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Would you all stand, please? We're going to sing one more song. And as we sing this song, if you would like to respond to the prompting of the Spirit to come today and be baptized into Jesus Christ, we have some ministers down front that will receive you. While we encourage you with our worship,
2: come ye sinners, poor and needy, bruised and broken by the fall, Jesus ready, ready to to say. say. and angels join in concert, sing the praises of the Lord.
0: Amen. Remain standing. Harvest weekend is just four weeks away. It'll be here soon. And I know times are hard. They're hard for missionaries too. But the work of the gospel must go on. So start now planning and praying for what's going to be a great week in November 14th and 15th. Um, I'm going to ask our prayer partners to be coming down to the front. And they'll be here as soon as we're dismissed. If you would like to pray with someone this morning... If you'll come down to the front, they'll be uh, waiting for you and they'll spend some time with you. If you would like to start the process of joining our church, Charlie Taylor and myself are right over here. And we'd love to meet with you and help you get that started. Thank you for being here today. Let me just remind you, the world will constantly, constantly tell you to settle down because this is as good as it gets. It is a lie. We are made for so much more. So this week, be walking home. God bless you. Go live for Jesus.